Welcome back to another episode of the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III, and today we have a little bit different episode in store for you. But first, I want to let everyone know that the official registration period for the 2020 Global Connected Aircraft Summit is now open. Our theme for 2020 focuses on three key areas, artificial intelligence, cybersecurity, and data analytics. Check out all the details about the event and changes we are making to the format at www.gcasummit.com. On today's episode, coming off the opening of the registration period for 2020, we're going to give you a brief look back at one of the most insightful presentations from the 2019 Global Connected Aircraft Summit. In their presentation, Chris Baugh, who is the president of Northern Sky Research, or NSR, and Brad Grady, who is a principal analyst at NSR, which is one of the most recognizable global satellite and space market research and consulting firms, they provide a sort of demystifying of all things satellite-based in-flight connectivity. So if you have questions about some of the key challenges facing airlines when considering purchasing satellite-based connectivity, or the differences between satellite bands such as KU versus Ka, or even some of the uh, differences between LEO, MEO, and GEO satellites, this is the presentation for you. There's also a really good discussion of business models being used by airlines today when it comes to satellite-based connectivity. So without any further introduction, I'm going to hand it over to Chris and Brad, and this is their live presentation from the 2019 Global Connected Aircraft Summit. Uh, so my name is Brad Grady. I'm a principal analyst at NSR. I focus on mobility, so it means if it moves, it's something I cover. Um, but just looking specifically at commercial aviation, let's just kind of set the scene a little bit about what's going on on the macro side of things that you're experiencing as an airline or as somebody in the aviation sector and what the satellite sector kind of sees. Traffic grew, so 4.3 billion passengers use air transport in 2018. Um, RPK metrics, kind of how you analyze your business in terms of profitability. Um, some slower growth in 2018. North America's experienced a little bit better, better growth than others. And the major airline manufacturers, Boeing, Airbus, continue to deliver on backlog and planes. So for us in the SACCOM sector, we think things are going pretty good. Your, your market's going a little bit better. Um, you're getting new planes, new opportunities for line fits, for, for other kinds of things. And this is kind of what we see of what are the big drivers of IFC demand. And there's lots of them, but the major takeaway from when we, when we consult airlines and we talk to everyone across the value chain of antenna manufacturers and modem manufacturers and people building access points on airplanes and all those other kinds of folks is for every driver, there's a restraint for every, oppor every opportunity. There's a challenge for every new application. There's some restriction as to why you can't deploy that today. So as many of you, um, I flew out here yesterday. Um, I was actually working on this presentation a little bit yesterday. It's about 70 megs. So I, I went on. I was like, hey, this is cool. I'm going to a connectivity conference. I'm going to go check the Wi-Fi. So what did I do? Um, I went to the splash screen. I, I paid my money. I made an account. I saw, hey, free texting. I got on my iPhone. I connected for the free texting tiers, talking to my wife, talking to uh, you know, everyone in the company. That, that worked great. But I actually had real work to do. So what did I do? You know, we're a, a Microsoft house, so I went to Office 365. I tried to go to PowerPoint, loading, loading, still loading. You know, the coffee came. It's like, no, I don't want to have any coffee. I don't want it to spill on my laptop. Still loading. I got timeout errors. I refreshed a lot. 
it's really 70 megs, come on, this really shouldn't be that hard. Cloud apps, good luck, didn't work. But free texting, so hey, that was really cool. I, I eventually did get it to download, and then what did I do promptly afterwards? I was like, okay, so let's run the network through its paces. I, I'm kind of a computer geek, I went to BitTorrent, I downloaded a Ubuntu image, that was about two gigs, I got about 800 megs out of that. So it really wasn't a throughput problem. Like, the network was physically capable of delivering lots of bandwidth and lots of capacity. So if you were the, the uh, airline service provider that I was doing and you see some BitTorrent traffic on a flight, that was probably me. But it's just not something that you really think of. Everyone says, oh, the, the throughput doesn't allow you to do things. And it's not. It's really the applications that you're trying to solve maybe aren't limited by the throughput. There's other things going on. So we'll, we'll set a little bit of the scenes just so we have the terms right. Um, there's, we call geo geostationary orbit, that's kind of what everyone's using today, way up there, 22,000 miles, or 20, yeah, 22,000 miles above the Earth. Medium Earth orbit, O3B, if you've heard of that, that system. Um, it's about 1,200 miles away. And then low Earth orbit, so MEO and, MEO and LEO, those are non-geos. The NGSOs, depending on if you kind of use the regulatory speak, and then the networks. So orbits are kind of where the satellites are physically located. Networks are how we term how the architect of that network works. There's two different ways to do that, kind of traditional satellites, also called wide beam, also called FSS. These are kind of cover a third of the world at a time, big, huge beams. And then there's kind of this emerging opportunity, um, high throughput satellites, which was a term NSR came up with, to kind of describe this shifting change of how satellites and networks were being built and designed, of going from, I'm gonna serve video, and it makes a lot of sense to cover a third of the Earth, or cover all North America at one time with one satellite, to I'm doing data applications, this is like Viasat falls into this category, Hughes, Global Express, of actually I'm going to cellularize that network, create very small spot, uh, spot beams, where I can start to beef up the amount of available uh, capacity in each one of those areas. Okay, so that's great. Let's look a little bit at the market at a glance. This is from our seventh edition of our aeronautical report that just came out um, a little bit a little while ago. You kind of see some cool some cool charts and, and tables of kind of where that market looks like between the FSS, the HTS, and the MSS. So that's that network architecture uh, diagram of 2018. Some penetration rates, and we'll dive into each one of these. Um, so in terms of penetration rates, the green planes are. Uh, where it's gonna go, the white planes up on top are where we are today, so wide body, some pretty decent penetration rate growth, narrow body, some good penetration rate growth. North America has some of the highest penetration rates that we track, um, and airlines with IFC grew about 8% in 2018, and that's about 80 airlines um, overall. But regional airlines are kind of the next in line, but the real question that we get asked, and that is being asked, I think, today of, how much do they really wanna spend on IFC? If you're only on the plane for an hour, does it make sense to make that conversion? Is that something that you need to do? Um, but let's focus a little bit on North America because that's, that's where we are today. Um, you kinda of take that orange pipe, that orange, orange bar and let's flip it out and extrapolate that by uh, IFC revenues by capacity type. So we cover air to ground, we cover FSS KU band. And again, these are like third of the world big beams. And then the GOHTS, so that's small spot beam architecture. And what we see as we start looking today, and we've kind of looked at, at the market over the past couple of years, and we start looking at what's going on tomorrow, taking into account that there's new satellites being brought online, there's lots of different opportunities there, that the growth is in GeoHTS. So that small spot beam architecture, and I'm sure if you're buying capacity or if you're buying those things, 
that's what you're seeing. But there's still lots of runway left in terms of penetration. Many thousands more to be outfitted with IFC over the next 10 years. Narrow body gets to about 50% penetration rate in 2028. Wide body is about there this year. Um, but the rise of the HTS-enabled IFC services is really one of those key trends that we're tracking of moving from those first generation, slow, whatever you want to call it, to these next generation small spot beam architectures where we start saying about half of the revenues today, about 660 million, um, is, in the H, is in HTS. By 2028, this goes to about $2.7 billion. So about two-thirds of total IFC revenues derived from these next generation systems. So that's great, okay, we talked about planes, we talked about um, you know, the capacity types, let's talk about demand. Um, this is how we kind of view the world in the satellite sector of these kind of 36 megahertz TPEs, it's just kind of a group of capacity that we, that we use to measure um, things. So you can see the bar charts as it slowly goes up, and then the lines as it goes up on the other side for the HTS capacity. But overall, we see about 360 gigabits of HTS capacity, which represents about 90% of capacity revenues by the end of 2028. Um, but we all talk about non-geo, we all talk about those Leo and Mio constellations. We don't see that as having a significant impact on the market. They're cool to talk about, but that's not really what's gonna get the job done. So we look at some of the key issues. Um, and so we see that IFC markets and terminal, and I think Chris is gonna walk through. Yeah, there's a couple of slides here we're gonna jump. Thanks, Brad. So when we think about the IFC market in general, so if we've set the stage, we have the data showing you kind of what the market looks like at the moment, installs, kind of band, those types of things. But we wanna take a step down even further into the market. And so if we look backwards on this market, and we kind of think about what we're hearing from suppliers, from operators, from end users, everybody in between, you know, the market's in a funky place at the moment in terms of what the take up and what the, the sort, of, sort of confidence might be in this space. And based on indecision, many of our engagements are sure, great stuff, but I'm just not ready to push the button just yet on the next phase of X, Y, or Z. We look at that, and then we look at sort of the backlog. There's a lot of uninstalled and ready to be installed that are, we're clicking through somewhat in 2019. Some regulatory issues that have crept up in some markets some technical problems in others. Um, it is a market that still is looking for its footing from a confidence and growth perspective. And we'll get turn into some of these details here. But we heard this quote, this quote came to us, and then we, we like this one a lot because um, it, what we, this is directly from the SPs, the service providers, that one of them said this exact quote. It was a lackluster year last year. Um, if, and if 17 was 50 of 16, then 2018 was 50% of 17. Not a great um, endorsement, frankly, of it. But there are issues and reason not to say that, okay, forget it, let's all go find a new industry to look at, but there are some significant challenges and issues and hurdles that we have to overcome in this space that um, some, I would wager, maybe self-imposed some otherwise that have to be solved to get to that, that sort of that growth period and, and most importantly, profitability. So I'll start this, Brad, and I want you to kind of click through it. So it's interesting. We, we, have, we talk a lot about end-user clients, and all of these clients that you see here represent the types of clients that in the end-user community, whether they're a video broadcaster, the US DOD, UK MOD, um, you know, cruise companies, shipping companies, companies that are in the service provider space, and we kind of thought about savviness. You know, How knowledgeable are they about SATCOM, and how knowledgeable are they about the solution? Yeah. So, Brad. I think this, this gets to that question of 
what types of questions and what types of answers do we provide a lot in our engagements? And then what are they really doing at the end? So if you look at government and military markets way up there, they're running their own satellites, they're running their own networks. Maybe we can have a philosophical debate about they're not acquiring things correctly, but on a technical savviness level, they kind of know what's going on. They're making these debates of whether or not I'm going to use my own networks, I'm going to go commercial. Video, and each one of these sizes, each one of these bubble sizes represents kind of the market opportunity that we saw in 2018 in terms of capacity spending. So it kind of gives you a little bit of perspective here. Um, video, these are the broadcasters. They're very attuned to the technical steps that it takes to go from megahertz to megabits, how much that changes, what those kind of applications look like. They're uh, at their end, what it takes to convert their raw video into something that can go over the satellite and how to optimize that entire chain. Uh, trunking and backhaul is like kind of the cellular network. Again, they're in that world of, I, I, I understand very well the technical parameters of converting megabits to megahertz or megahertz to megabits. And where it makes sense to go satellite, where it doesn't make sense to go satellite, what price points I need, what volume my network looks like, how my traffic de demand on my customers, so how many cell phones are in this one area that's going to be enabled by this one cell site. Um, maritime, this covers the gamut from fishing vessels, leisure, uh, offshore, oil and gas, to cruise ships and merchant vessels. So you can imagine that's a pretty wide range of customers. There's, a, there's a quite a wide range of savviness in there. But the ones who are spending the most, the ocean cruise customers, um, they are digging deeper and deeper into the pieces of their network. They're making relationships with antenna manufacturers. They're trialing modems. They're kind of doing all the technical steps that they need to understand in order to deliver a product. And kind of I like to quote say, like, awesome Wi-Fi. Um, on their networks, they're building out new access points. So they're doing all of those steps that kind of lead us to say, they're not asking those kinds of what's KU versus KA, what's GEO versus LEO. They, may, they understand that, but they're asking what are the trades, what, what do I need to do? I understand my data traffic, I understand my usage patterns, I understand where in the world I'm going to be. I'll, I'll skip over Arrow for a second there, but consumer broadband is kind of, uh, it's broken, fix it. Um, there's obviously those technical people that understand kind of satellite and all those other things, but really on the whole, they just want a service, they want it to work. Aeronautical kind of fits somewhere in between that consumer broadband and that maritime sector. So it's not quite in that it's broken, fix it, but not quite in the, I'm going to go talk to a modem manufacturer and trial it on my airplane to figure out whether or not this yields some network efficiencies. It's, they're not digging deep into their network traffic and cross-referencing their heat maps of passenger density versus take rates versus all these kinds of things. These are things that are happening now. Um, so as we kind of, if we've evolved mm -hmm. this presentation over time, we would expect Arrow to, to kind of go up. But these are the issues that we're dealing with when we have engagements with aeronautical customers. Okay. So thank you, Brad. So that, and that's a great segue into kind of some of the changes and some of the things that we, uh, um, as analysts, see and things to be aware of, right? So there are three categories here, changes in space, changes on the ground, and changes to business models. So we're going to click through some of these changes and things to be aware of because they do have an impact on take-up, they do have an impact on technical savviness and, and elsewise. So we want to talk first about space. Um, you know it is a, an absolute certainty. There, is, there, there are definite certainties in this market. Two of them I can say with absolute certainty. One, supply is going up exponentially in this space, absolutely. Whether it's in GEO, MEO, through Empower with SCS and further O3B, whether it's in LEO, 
it is going to happen. There's going to be, if you think there's a lot of available capacity now, oh, wait till five years, 10 years down the road, because it's coming. Um, impact on price we'll talk about for a second. Uh, a lot of it in non-geo. If you pr believe that these constellations that you hear so much about will launch, forget about business models and, and, and viability for a second, if you believe they're going to launch, the satellites aren't going to go away. Just like the old Iridium days, when Iridium launched, went belly up, those satellites didn't go away. They found a business case for them and bought them out of bankruptcy, and here we are. Uh, I'm not saying that's going to exactly happen in this space, but it's on the table. But again, an enormous amount of capacity coming, most of it in geo station-kept HTS and also non-geo HTS. But the really important factor you as buyers need to consider is the efficiency of this capacity. Because as capacity becomes more efficient, as more of it is available, the cost per megabit to orbit, the capex cost, brings down what we call the break-even price point. This price point represents the global average of all capacity in the market and what is the lowest rate that an operator could offer without losing money. We call it break, it's a metric we've developed on a satellite by satellite basis actually, but this is a global average. To show you actual real data 2018 into 19, how far that's fallen in the last eight years. And then we enter into this new epic once more LEO constellations come and more geos come. The message is the metrics are completely upside down in terms of traditional satellite to now, you as buyers, or if you're a service provider, fantastic. Good for you, right? You don't have a dog in the fight in terms of putting up satellites in orbit, and this metric is only going to improve. Now, if you have existing assets in orbit and you're trying to monetize them competitively against others, well, that's, you know, that's a bit of a challenge, and operators track, look, listen to any earnings calls of the operators and you hear the same thing. It's a challenging market. But again, from a demand perspective, and does elasticity kick in of demand, we're gonna, we'll get there. And prices do continue to fall um, pretty, pretty far in the last couple of years. And, and this market's unique because it has had some bulk capacity purchases that brought that price down again. But thinking about the average price, and this is sort of the, the mobility KU band globe, you can see by region, you can see the GOHS. This was in the middle of the first quarter of this year, and we gathered all the data points not just from operators, not from every part throughout the value chain. So this is not corrupted data just from operators giving us, you know, maybe they're, it's a bit high or, or service provide. I mean, we, we did arbitrage right in the middle to show you where that price point lies. So again, those prices, another benefit to the space. And then you think about the value chain. It's another area that you need to think through of how this market's going to evolve. Roughly 15 operators around the world now have IFC customers or IFC traffic on them. 15 satellite operators, not satellites, satellite operators. Um, there are 10, we'll talk about the service providers in a second. Profitability, highly elusive. It's uncertainty around the dynamics of how that's going to, to, uh, to play out. We talked about the airline number in North America really dominating. So there, the value chain is as it is at the moment, highly supplied in the middle. Frankly, that's one of the challenges because the next slide is what we see 10 is too much. We heard from somebody that said to us recently, well, I think there needs to be more. I think there needs to be more variability. Maybe somebody needs to come in and, and do, we need more service providers. And we're saying, no, 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 no. This market has to figure out this middle layer in terms of, I'm not saying that we all need to con consolidate and become three, but we know for certain many are for sale. Many are actively being shopped around or divested some, you know, piece to part to, to sell this unit off, keep this unit. We know it's happening. 
The challenge is that from an end user perspective, and I can say by sitting in boardrooms with execs from airlines, this is a problem because they all ask the same question, what if so-and-so buys so-and-so? What if I sign a contract with X and they become part of this? What happens contractually? And does my, obviously your contract lives on, but what does that mean for me of a service? And you know the service element of this industry is absolutely vital. So that's why from a profitability perspective, it's no secret, we're not there yet. And we really do believe that this consolidation is such a necessary element and we do hope that it does occur. We keep hearing, wait till next week, wait till we hear rumors, as you all probably do. Um, and then moving to constellations. And I'll, uh, we'll start here, Brad, and we wanna talk about constellations a little bit. Because you hear a lot about constellations and you hear a lot about yeah these enormous numbers of satellites, enormous. You saw with a very interesting, I don't know if you saw the star link of the satellites going across the sky like, like ducks following each other, fascinating stuff. Um, if you count them all up, it's roughly 25,000 plus, give or take, depending on who you, you, you believe or not, 25,000 satellites in low Earth orbit primarily. Um, we have a real problem, folks, in terms of traffic management. We, there are constellations out there that are just being built today, one called North Star in Canada, just to be a space traffic cop, are managing this all in these different orbits. And should a collision happen, catastrophic, because it blows debris all through the orbits, and that's a bigger problem. So we have, again, assuming that some launch, still a problem. But again, this is the new playground in this space. So this is the, as the, the, the debate evolved from KU versus KA, this is now the issue. And just a bit of a thinking through constellations. They're not all created the same, okay? So when you think about constellations, you have three general types of circular orbits. Equatorial, which are your geos sit on the equator and as the Earth turns, you know, you're stationary. That's why you have a dish locked in place. That's the geo. Um, obviously, the uh, O3B satellites ride the equator, which is why if you're plus or minus X amount of latitude, you know, um, you can't touch, you can't see those O3B satellites, the elevation angle is too low. Then you go into inclined orbit, which SpaceX, we'll talk about Amazon in a second, and Telesat are. Ride in an arc, and they basically converge over these points um, that are on an inclined level. Polar, which, OneWeb, you've probably heard a lot about, the Seamless Air Alliance, all the stuff they're talking in an arrow, which um, is interesting. A Leosat you've heard of, and Telesat is another one. They do have some polar Again, converging over the poles, which if your airline traffic over the poles, phenomenal, because we know that is a big miss in terms of available capacity today. Yeah. So interesting to think about what's available. And then the next thing is the elevation angle. So when you're talking to constellations, and I'm sure they're talking to you, we know that they're banging on your door, the sales guys looking for pre-commitments and saying, hey, we've got new satellites coming, you know, sign an MOU, sign something with us. You have to look at the characteristics of each of these systems differently about how your antenna, look at your root structure, look at how many satellites are going up. Um, this elevation angle of, you can obviously not go too low if you know, even in the geo world, till you lose signal, it's based on a lot of properties of what your antenna is like, et cetera. Um, but ask these questions. You know, the, to assume that the, all of these satellites in any of these constellations are gonna be available tomorrow is really foolish. They're not going to be. There's going to be phase deployments and it's going to take time to get them up there. So to rely on it is, is a, bit, um, a bit shaky. The beam width. How big are the beams? And can they do frequency reuse within them? It's a question. Um, can the beams be steered with your aircraft? Another question. 
But the problem is, if your ride, depending on where those satellites are that you're connecting to, the, the elevation angle does have an issue, because if you're sitting highly, sort of almost horizontal, and you're in a higher band, such as Ka, you know, that plus rain attenuation in Ka, as you all know about, does affect the signal. So when you do a link budget in these environments, and you know these are aircraft moving hundreds of miles per hour, satellites are moving at thousands of miles, you've got a really intense technical discussion to have. Um, it's exciting, but frankly, that's why we said earlier, we're just kind of not there yet with it. So um, Yeah, and I mean, I think looking at the, just these two on parameters, I mean, there's a thousand of them yeah. that go in. We haven't even talked about just ignore all the RF side of it and focus on the IP side of the network. Yeah. Um, when you start talking about constellations, I mean, geo is hard enough. Constellations add an entire level of complexity to the conversation. And you may not need to be able to do the math on elevation angles, but you need to understand what it means and when you are running route traffic, when you're doing planning, you need to understand what that really means for your airline and kind of what planes make sense, what planes don't make sense. Maybe the system doesn't make sense now. Maybe it makes sense five years from now. Um, just really kind of sharp, sharpen the entire, entire box of pencils when you're coming here and looking at these things. Okay, so we're going to quickly just go through a couple of these constellations. We want to talk to you about some other things. I, we'll just go through this section maybe quickly yeah, as quickly, we're... Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, if you think about the big ones in the comms market, you, you, you pull out six, right? And these are probably the ones you, you hear of, you see the news. Um, you know, SES, the existing incumbent in MEO, I'm building more satellites there. They have the revenue stream, very viable. Um, OneWeb launched a few satellites. They're building satellites, of course, and, you know, Telesat early stage, Leosat early stage, SpaceX, you saw that, and then Amazon, we'll get to. So Amazon, um, this, we call the Amazon effect in this market, which is, um, you know, an interesting one because if you, this kind of did and it didn't, I mean, we, the, the thing about the satellite industry, we're not great on, on <laughs> keeping secrets. It's a small industry, and we all talk a lot. So as soon as it came out, it's like, oh, yeah, there's, there's uh, Jeff Bezos and his, his new constellation. We, we get it, right? But it caught a lot of people off guard because this could be an X factor in terms of traffic and in terms of you know, funding, in terms of vi viability. You know, how, do you, how do you even assess if this viability of this network? And I think it's, it's kind of up in the air at the moment. Um, and really, why? And that's... Again, another question, and, and we can debate the why all day long. But the question really comes, this is a natural next step for them, right? They launch satellites. They have a rocket that's, that's more and more performing all the time, a big rocket, actually, it's coming. They have this ground segment thing that they actually established, which was an interesting one, where they're building ground stations on data centers around the world to downlink imagery data, sensing data, some comms data. So all backhauled back onto the fiber network. So if you can task and say, I need X out of the BridgeSat satellites, which is a constellation, you get it, basically. And you have an account with AWS. I set one up, actually, the other day, which is pretty fun. <laughs> Played with it a little bit. Um, you can put sample tasks in and work with it. Fa fascinating. And then, oh, by the way, they're building the constellation in space. So this is a watch this space type of thing. You're probably, some of you, maybe having discussions with Amazon, it's something to really think about and something that will have um, a big effect on the capacity service picture yeah. in the market. Well, I think this also gets to that, you know, what, what's really the issue here, the, or what's really the goal? The goal is to deliver good internet experience, and a mm -hmm. constellation happens to be the enabling factor to do that, um, which is changing the conversation, right? You know, us satellite geeks kind of go, oh, that's awesome, they're watching so many satellites, they're all doing all this stuff, and it's like, yeah, but we just want to have better prime, right? Like, we want to stream movies better. Um, 
Right. We're just changing the whole picture. Absolutely. Um, moving on here, and if then, so this is just a rough sort of translation in terms of progress around all of them. Um, you know, funding doesn't mean any of them are fully funded. Uh, OneWeb one has a few billion that have been committed via, via mainly SoftBank. We're assuming Amazon's got funding. I, I don't know that that's going to be a challenge for them, depending on the order of magnitude. Again, that's, a, that's still very veiled in secrecy. SES, we're certainly not concerned with. Um, the middle ground, SpaceX has raised about, a, what, just north of a billion, we hear, give or take, minus some un undersubscribed funding rounds. We hear that they're there, although I did hear yesterday kind of a troubling thing where it seems like every time SpaceX talks, the capabilities and the, the target markets kind of change. Whereas the first generation was supposed to have ISLs and be really, it's inter-satellite links, cross-links. It's now just bouncing signals through lots of gateways, kind of like a OneWeb. And I heard on the Tesla call yesterday that they said, Elon said, well, it's going to be a system that is going to go to the rural and underserved. And I'm thinking, well, okay, there's kind of a lot of tar people targeting that space, and it's kind of a hard market to target. Very fickle user base, very challenging business model, but okay. Um, I would have liked to have heard more of a telecom-centric sort of strategy, and we kind yeah, of were sighed deeply when we heard that yesterday. I think yeah, I mean, and that's the challenge, right? I mean, I think we're looking at this as, are they all fighting for the same revenue pie? How big of the market are they going to be able to make? What's the business case that's enabling this? I think in the satellite world, there's this kind of field of dreams business model. You build it, they'll come. Um, is that really going to pan out? Is that Can you build a business around that idea? Absolutely. All right, so we're going to go quickly into two final issues, and we'll wrap up because we're clicking along pretty quickly here. Um, antennas. Antennas are, again and again and again, one of the top yeah. three points that we debate with, with customers all the time and, and help w w evaluate all the time. So Brad. Yeah. Um, so I think this is, gets to kind of one of the core issues of if you're an airline, this is like there's lots of questions and concerns, and this is probably the part of the satellite sector you understand the best because it's the part that goes on your plane. Um, and there's been lots of challenges of installations that yielded some new standards and some learning opportunities, and we've kind of gotten past some of these issues of this early generation challenges of are we going to standardize it? What's kind of bird strikes? What's the regulatory and legal regime in order to attach these things? And is there interoperability? But all of those other kinds of cool, interesting kind of trends for us yields one place of is there a shift in antenna procurement where airlines are taking more of a front seat role in either the development of these terminals and the direct procurement of these terminals and specifying terminals in their networks? So in the maritime sector, if you go to a cruise ship, they probably say, you shall and they list the antenna model, the things, this is how many I have. And oh, by the way, I'm actually gonna buy it myself because that makes better business sense for me. I'm gonna train my people on how to understand it and maintain it um, and all those other kinds of things because I know I'm really only gonna be in four or five ports. You know, The same kind of model applies in the airline sector to some degree. I know I'm only in four or five core cities. Maybe it, it makes sense to have some kind of core capabilities um, of doing that. But does this whole circle of challenges and early generation IFC issue, antennas yield that sector, yield that, that result? And we, we tend to see we're getting a lot more questions on that. Yeah, so, and then, um, you know, we were at AIX um, a couple of months ago. And again, this is that airlines are increasingly talking to antenna manufacturers. If you're an antenna manufacturer, and I think some of them have, have, have spoken to this, that they're getting a lot of questions and conversations with airlines, with people that are actually putting it on their planes because they have the biggest skin in the game. 
They were disappointed in kind of early performance of, of antennas, you know, be it from a technical standpoint, be it because, hey, it caused my plane to go out of service. And then there's this revenue share models of incorporating antenna costs, and that's always in the satellite sector, some sensitive subjects of, do I need to subsidize the antenna in order to make the deal, in order to build the market? Um, but overall, this really leads to this un unbundling is, is on the rise of disconnecting and disaggregating the person who probably pays for the antenna, the person who's specifying the antenna, and all these other kinds of things. But bottom line, airlines are seeking more control of their IFC technology decisions across the satellite stack is really a trend that we're seeing, and that's where we're spending a lot of our time is kind of understanding and evolving those, those concepts of you know, getting up that SATCOM savviness level to maritime, to video, to all those other kinds of things. Uh, and? And then flat panel antennas. Okay, so if you've seen an NSR presentation about flat panel antennas, I guarantee you, you have seen this graphic. Um, it lives on. <laughs> it, this is one of those graphics that we, we think kind of encapsulates a lot of the conversation points and all these cool little boxes, some cool colors. And we're happy to have conversations about we, what each one of these means and the trades that you need to make of whether or not I'm doing size, weight, and power conversations and the physical attributes to I need to do geo, leo, mio, and what that really means for the antenna that you're looking at, the antenna you have today, the next generation antenna as you're subscribing from version one of your IFC solution to version two. Um, but suffice it to say that the electronically steered options, and we heard that kind of on the panel yesterday, um, probably necessary for most non-geo constellations, not you know, a, a hard and fast rule, um, but they face considerable performance challenges from an RF standpoint. They are trading against other things, the flexibility and you know, cheap capacity. So you really do have to understand if you're trying to make optimal decisions of maximizing performance and guest experience, against all the technical attributes that these solutions are bringing to the table and kind of understanding what that trade space is. Okay. We're, we're now going to do the last point before we wrap business models. And I would wager, if we took a poll internally at NSR, the people that work on this in the aerospace, what's the number one issue that airline customers are, are really struggling with today? It's not tech, yeah, technology, sure. It's the business model of that sort of, what? how do I make money sort of experience enhancers, we say. So Brad, the, you know, yeah, and I think the models. This, this gets to, the retail model for us is, you know, you have that somebody provides the paywall and, and they slide their credit card, et cetera, et cetera. Airline directed is maybe the airline is building the portal and capturing that experience. And then some hybrid model between the two of I'll do this, you do that, we both deliver the solution. Um, JetBlue is kind of a good example of that hybrid model. Um, where they continue to gain new customers with American Airlines, some other third parties coming to the deal of Apple Music, and whether or not that is kind of this holy grail of optimized mix of players in the market in order to expand the area. But I think like Chris says, you know, when we talk about business models, it really kind of comes down to two core things. This is a moneymaker or an experience enhancer. Is this core to my brand, core to my identity as an airline, or is this something that I need to check the box and maybe I can make some money doing it? And then on the technical side, so okay, that's great, you have a business objective. You need to deliver against that business objective and there's a couple of different ways of doing that. And this is where you know, the engineers at NSR, have kind of, they, they spend a lot of their teeth doing these, these kinds of technical analysis. And there's really two different ways to go about it. There's the volume-based thinking of your cellular, cellular plan, I, I buy a bundle of megabits or gigabits or whatever. Um, in the airline world, I like to call that session-based modeling. Um, Sure, whatever, the, the term that you take is, is whatever you choose, but you got some megabits, you have a take rate, and that, that delivers your business model. 
Um, a throughput-based thinking, which is kind of the, where the rest of the satellite sector lives. If you're a cruise ship company, you're kind of buying megabits a second, so you're buying a throughput, like your home internet. You know, you subscribe to a throughput tier. Um, so you have planes, you have megabits per plane, you get a, a committed information rate based on those plans, and then uh, Chris is gonna walk through um, what that really means on a technical basis. Okay, so just before we get into it, we're gonna show you a real example from some, some modeling that we've done and some output to kind of show pluses and minuses, and, 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 and it's highly scenario specific, and there are certain lever points. But there are pros and cons of each of these three basket categories, session-based, CIR-based per aircraft, and CIR-based fleet-wide. So session-based, it's simpler, right? You don't have to pre-plan about, okay, I need this amount of bandwidth in this region or this amount per aircraft, and I can future-proof, and you grow with the network. It's a, it's a, more, it's a lower buy-in, per se, but it does allow you to future-proof in the sense of, I can just keep growing along with it. Now, it is a higher per gigabyte model, and we'll show you the numbers in a second. Um, and as usage goes up, there is an argument to be made that it does have diminished value. And that's, again, very case-specific, very, very route-specific, very aircraft-specific. We get to the per-aircraft CIR-based. It is lower from a cost basis, from a, from a gigabyte perspective. Um, it does allow the airline to maintain further quality control. This happened in the other industries. We go back to cruise a lot and others. When they saw, had more control, when they were buying CIRs, when they were buying more as it relates to bandwidth per vessel, per, cr per cruise itinerary, per aircraft route, um, it gives them more of that control. It's higher commitment, definitely from a revenue perspective, requires a lot of more reviewing and, ex and just more of a sort of a, you know, on top of things. Then fleet-wide, um, best for cost savings. Um, you can match, you can look at your heat maps like we talk about a lot and certainly plan beams. And, but it is a challenge here, and this is a, this is, we're not there yet for a lot of companies to go down this route, many airlines to say this, some have, but it's not necessarily the, the preferred method, especially for a lot of the smaller, more regional and others. So I'm gonna give you an example. We have a lot of interesting models that we've developed for airlines to kind of say, okay, how much bandwidth do I need? How much am I going to spend? how much, and, and then comparing and contrasting these models. So we give you, without naming names, but this is just one, and we've really made this rather vanilla because we have to, but we wanna show you these decisions. So if you have three tiers of service, the texting only, browsing, and streaming, and over the top, your session time, we, these models that we have, we can actually input and show on a, you know, on a root basis, on a monthly basis, on a et cetera basis to show what the bandwidth needs are and what that traffic looks like. We then talk about take rates, and you can, maybe you can say, oh, my take rates are higher or lower. This is just to show you visually how we're trying to solve these problems. Yeah. And then to get down to the session time, um, how much session, I mean, one hour, three hours, five hours, to kind of show you. As it relates at the bottom for this retail session-based example, it shows that you need about 640-odd gigabytes, two, or two megabits, give or take, for the service about 11,000, give or take, per aircraft per month is about what that model looks like for this specific airline customer. Now, if you did that exact same traffic pattern and you went to the CIR-based model, you would see that you've got, basically, there is a substantial savings in this case. So you'd be about $7,000 per megabit if you bought direct CIR per aircraft, for example. Um, all these assumptions on the right are lever points in the model, and you can take them up or down as you wish, but it's a model that we've kind of, this organic breathing thing that we've developed, and it does show, now, you could 
change the metrics and the session-based model looks better. But it just shows there is no slam dunk as I come back to originally, and this is one way to kind of solve some of these key questions of what's better, and there's a ton of confusion around it. Yeah. So bottom line as we're about wrapping up, um, the macro environment is very strong. Uh, as you know it, you're, you know, roots are up, revenues up, uh, et cetera. You're, you know, the market in general is, is on a good streak at the moment. Regional airlines in this space are the next big target. Um, there's a lot of technology developments and some deals and et cetera, but there is some rebooting that we're finding is critical, such as business models. Um, the service provider layers I hark a, a lot on is, has, to be, has to be fixed. Um, and then the consolidation factor. So Brad, you can lead us off for the yeah, final Yeah, so I slide. think what, what should you take away from, from our presentation today? Um, technology, HTS definitely helps with more capacity, lower prices. Integration, so this is across the whole satellite stack or air to ground or on your network, kind of as you're thinking about the IP services and applications I want to enable and the technology that I've, that's required in order to make that happen between the satellites, the antennas, the modems, have those conversations with your, your technology vendors, reach out to other people in that sector of maybe beyond your aero service provider, they should be more than happy to kind of bring those people in on the conversation. The service, look to quality of service and quality of experiences, so like BitTorrent probably shouldn't work better than downloading PowerPoint. Like BitTorrent's probably not an application most people are gonna do, sorry. Um, and really, which is where we spend a lot of our time these days and you know, the business model is really what it comes down to. And within that business model, what's your objective? Is it to have awesome guest Wi-Fi? Is it to have a mix of tech ops and other kinds of cost centers that I can trade against to deliver you know, this guest experience? Is it part of my brand DNA of having the best Wi-Fi or is it just cool to have Wi-Fi? Um, do I need to be on the cutting edge of technology because Elon Musk is doing a non-geo constellation? I wanna be in that bucket and I really don't care if it works. If it doesn't work, it's just cool, and that's part of who I am as an airline. So what's that objective is really what it all comes down to. Absolutely. So that's it for today's episode of the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast. I hope you all enjoyed the presentation from the 2019 Summit. And again, just a reminder that the registration period for 2020 is now open. So please check out all the changes coming to the event at www.gcasummit.com. My name is Woodrow Bellamy III, and thanks again for tuning in to the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast.